Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcast. G'day and welcome to a magically merry special edition of Thrush and Treasure, the Torture Chamber musical comedy podcast where two snowmen fight over who has the longest carrot nose. And speaking of Marys, I'm Aaron, and that's homophobic. But that's okay, because I'm joined by the wisest of the three wise guys. He's so white, you'd think it was snowing in Perth. It's Evan, the Christmas cracker. How you doing? <laughs> hey, how you going? Yeah. Are you on Santa's good list this year? Oh, I hope so. I've, I've, been, I've been giving Santa beers like every year. Awesome. All right. Anyways, guess what? What? We have the most legendary diva in the house, and I'm so excited, nothing is stirring, not even a mouse. Because our next guest got his first Broadway gig, portraying young Jacob, the Rothschilds' kid, then guiding light broke dawn on this shining career that's seen him pop up everywhere, every year. But the day Christ died, ended Thursday's game too soon, an Oscar nomination fixed a dog day afternoon. A tale of two cities showed New York has slaves, but in Chicago Hope, he played Gordon Mays. And Just Cause, Just Cause spilled a bordello of blood, the dark tide really turned with Felicity's haircut. Yet admired by fans and beloved by actors, that's why he rocked up in the hit show The Practice. Back on the stage, he's shown what the arts are by shining the brightest light in the piazza. But not all was smooth, I don't mean to sound snide, as Nick and Nora fell, he found his own Princess Bride. From ER to Psych and Charming on Charmed, over 100 screen credits, he finds peace on his farm. Because while judging Amy the American perfect way, he found Surviving Fright Night was not child's play. The list goes on, it's truly spectacular. He even fought turtles as old Count Dracula. So please say good day with a warm Merry Christmas to the man whose credentials really are listless. And as Christmas Eve quietens to a close, the pumpkin King Jack tips around on his toes, sporting a cheeky grin. It's time to get candid, entering our festive torture chamber. It's Mr. Chris Sarandon. Welcome to the torture chamber. Merry Christmas. Oh, thank you for that poem, Aaron. That's really quite extraordinary i expect a copy when we're done yes no we'll do that yeah. that's three now i think yeah i don't have to give anybody my resume you, yep, you've no. done it <laughs> i'll tell you what it um i printed off your resume two columns on each page it took up five pages oh then i had to work through all of that could you work a little <laughs> bit less next time so there's a little <laughs> bit less work for me that'd be really really great but how are you doing I'm doing great. Thank yes. you very much. Are you on Santa's good list this year? Uh, of course. Yes. Every year. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm a jolly, jolly fellow. And I have a wonderful family. I have a fabulous wife and a wonderful life. So what else could you ask? Yes. And um, you have the distinction of being the first spouse to come on our show. The first previous guest, a, a relation or a husband or wife or brother or sister of I've been trying to to get a, a duo on at some stage and pit them against each other, but oh no, you you wouldn't get us to no, you wouldn't get us to pit each other. No, pit us, pit us against each other. <laughs> no, it, it's funny All you right. say that because um, I've noticed uh, prepping for both interviews. One thing that I I noticed time and time again from from both you and and Joanna is 
you both speak about each other with such pride and you don't always see that with quote unquote celebrity couples. Mm. So I have a question about that. Um, and sure. I hope you don't mind me starting off with something personal. I, I only feel empowered because we've had, had Joanna on the show and she's yeah, been yeah. through the ringer on here. So uh-huh. what advice would you give to sort of younger, maybe newer couples that are pro- possibly letting their ego impede their joy or their pride? Get it out of the way. Get it out of the way. <laughs> Just yeah, get over it. Yeah, that's all I get. That's Yeah, get over it. it. It's anybody who's been doing this for a while and Joanna and I, however the fortunes have cast us, we have been through, we both have been through marriages. Mm-hmm. Um, in my first marriage, I was married to an actress. Uh, in my second, a civilian. And I, I was a great admirer of Joanna's for a long time before I met her. Um, and that admiration has not ceased. Uh, we both also know the vagaries and the vicissitudes of the business. Sometimes when one person's up, the other person's down and vice versa. And it doesn't really matter as long as you are champions of each other. And I'm certainly her champion and she mine. Yeah, uh, I, I can say that. Com- she, she just finished completing a shooting a film mm-hmm. that she wrote and directed. And I'm... Uh, figuratively busting my buttons for her. She's just, uh, I think, such a remarkably talented woman in so many ways. Mm-hmm. She's a writer, she's an actress, she's a singer, she's a performer, she's written uh, any number of, uh, of uh, vehicles, either for herself or for other people. And they're always funny and, and at the same time filled with, with emotion. And um, I, I, I could go on and on and on at any rate. <laughs> Yep. Uh, she's an extraordinary human being. So why should I hold back? Yes, that's it. So that's that's the advice to any actors out there. Just get yeah. over yourselves, yeah. really. Get over yourself, yeah. right? And, exactly. and as we addressed in the uh, in the the Rumi, the musical episode, you've got to bury your ego. You do. That's that's, that's what Rumi is all about. Yeah. Okay. Obviously, as we we spoke before the the recording, that you have answered a, a thousand and one of the same questions. Uh-oh. So if we ask anything that you have asked before, being an American, you are allowed yep. to say, "I plead the cliche." Okay. And we could move on instantly to something that is original and fresh. Yes. All right. Now, okay, we're going to get a Christmas question out of the way quickly before we move on to the metal album. My favorite things from the sound of music. Is this or is this not a Christmas song in your opinion? You know, I, I honestly don't remember the song well enough <laughs> to tell you. Perfect answer. <laughs> Perfect answer. <laughs> I, I say if that's a Christmas song, you're getting bloody brown paper packages. Like how boring <laughs> do you need to get? Really? Come on. What a dull Christmas that would be. But anyways, we'll move on to metal. Now, do you have any experience with heavy metal or new metal or death metal, thrash metal, glam metal? The list goes on. Zero. Zero? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I was I was in a rock and roll band in high school, basically, with a few exceptions, a cover band. And most of the mu- music that we covered was music from the 50s, because that's when I was in the band. Mm-hmm. So we were we were playing R&B. We were playing Everly Brothers. We were playing Elvis. Buddy Holly. Uh, we were playing Buddy Holly. Excellent. Um, yep. Yeah, uh, we were, and but but a lot of R and B because we had a couple of R and B, we had a couple of blues musicians in the band. We played a lot of that music. So heavy metal is just—it's not on my radar. It hasn't been. Not on your radar. Yep. I love all kinds of music, but uh, I, I love rock and roll. But uh, heavy metal has never been on my radar. Yep. No, I don't blame it at all. In fact, I envy you. 
in a lot of ways. Uh, <laughs> yes, now, Evan, you chose the album this week. It's our, the first of our two Christmas albums that we'll be covering this week or weekend, however these episodes are going to be posted. So would you like to tell our listeners quickly what you've chosen, and then I'll go through my review. It's only one page today. Merry Christmas to everyone. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, this week it's... Um... It's a little band called August Burns Red, who are a, a bunch of bunch of hardworking little farm boys from from Pennsylvania. Your, your standard sort of band story. They all met in high school, um, and you know played out on the farm because there was really nowhere to rehearse. Um, a lot of farmland, um, and yeah, they're all now they're, they're interesting in the way that. They all identify, nearly all identify as Christian or evangelical Christian, but certainly don't want to be known as a Christian band. You know, they they chart in the Christian charts, but they they're not fans of you know being labelled. They they're entertainers. They're not Christians. They're just entertainers who happen to be Christians. Um, so, but in saying that, like usually when I can talk about a group, there's you know when there's a Twisted Sister or Poison or something, there's there's a history where there's there's conflict and there's you know band members change and there's fist fights there's you know trashed hotel rooms these guys are just good clean living boys who just don't get into trouble <laughs> so, love everyone that's why yeah so um but yeah they identify as metalcore mainly um a lot of screaming not many choruses and not a lot of clean vocals it is it is just sort of like you said rr 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 pretty much oh, the whole way through my review <laughs> yeah. I, I knew there was some growling coming um Maybe. but yeah uh, just to sort of it's uh yeah they started just like every other uh, a lot of other bands but they're just exceptionally good like the guitarist Maybe. is amazing the drummer's just i'm a big fan of the drummer he's he's mental you know he can play faster than i can think um he just that muscle memory kicks in and yeah he's incredible but yeah, this week we've got, I think it was their fifth album. Um, they decided to do a Christmas album, which was pretty much all covers and all instrumental, which was I think was a great choice to not, you know, growl all the way through you know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, although they did in that one song. But um, there is a little bit, but 99% of the album is instrumental and it's, I, they just nailed it. I love this. Um, yeah. All right, can we get to your thoughts after I quickly read through my review, which was meant to... <laughs> the order but let's find out how much you hate christmas yes and then we, before we find out about all these things you were talking about that are in my review when i first saw on the cover the august red burns i had to wonder if there was an ointment for that so with his sexual health on my mind as usual i pressed begin on the spotify and at first i was shocked as usual but unusually i found an instrumental christmas tune without lyrics and whilst the first track flurries about the delicious mcice cream from mcdonald's isn't the only vocalist track on this mental christmas christian metal album i decided to write lyrics for it ready in five four three Sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> and that song now gets five stars. As for the album, three and a half. I actually kind of really enjoyed this take on Christmas carols that it is mostly vocalists 
that I didn't have to hear someone strangling a hippopotamus for an hour. But yeah, no, okay. So, and some of the takes on it were interesting. Mm. So I, I might actually strewn some of these songs, if that's the word, I will. Um, You'll litter your Christmas playlist with a bit of metal. You shouldn't litter, but I will litter my Christmas playlist with some of these takes. That was quite interesting. And the less said about that, goddamn hot lead singer, the better. So we will not mention his name <laughs> at all and probably never invite him on this show for that reason. Uh, yes. Yeah, some of these arm boys just grow big. I don't know what it is. Yeah, he's just, he's got no neck and I like that. Anyways, Chris, <laughs> what did you think of this album? Did you give it a go? I, I breezed through, not uh, not quickly, but relatively quickly. Yeah. And uh, I, I found myself admiring the musicianship, actually. thought these guys were terrific musicians, which I always admire. Um, that's not always the case in my mind at least in some of the metal music that I listened to or I have listened to. But I found that this this band's musicianship was really top notch and uh, and admired it. And some of the arrangements were interesting as well. Yeah, that's that's what I kind of liked because I, I do love Christmas and Christmas carols. So like most people, we hear them thousands of times every year. And it, it was nice to hear that that sort of fresh, a little bit darker take on it. Yeah. I yep. thought, yeah, yeah. No, okay, so Evan, yes, continue with your superlatives on this band and why you chose them. No, that was the issue. I mean, they, again, they are like really talented. Now, kind of, kind of jealous of how how good that drummer is. Were you a drummer? Yes, a, again, drummer, a cover band. In so was I. Yeah, so was I. Yep, I've literally got a snare drum sitting over there. Um, yeah, I was in a cover band just out of high school. Yeah, you know, but different eras we were covering. You know, Nirvana, Green Day, yeah, right. all, all that kind of thing. Was I um, the only person getting drunk watching bands as an eighteen-year-old? Really, everyone else yeah. is getting into cover bands. They come on this show, and I'm like, I was getting drunk then. I was like, I was drunk in a cover band. In, yeah, that's yes. that, yeah. that makes more sense. Oh, yeah, I kept kept us out of trouble. You know, while everyone else is getting you know, drunk watching the bands, getting into trouble. Thank you very much. Evan. Yeah, or getting drunk down the beach because there's nowhere else to go. Only if we got kicked out of somewhere. Only if we got kicked out, and that was maybe three times we slept on the beach. But anyways, continue. That's another story. Yeah, this is the kind of the issue with with August Burns Red is is they're just they're just nice. They're just nice farm boys. They're just, they don't get into trouble. I haven't got any stories because they just, they just practice their asses oh. off to her constantly. Um, and, and are just damn good at what they do. Well, I have a controversy. Right. I, sorry. They're not totally clean. They, um, the he who shall not be named, the lead singer was, um, took a photo with somebody who was thrown in prison for, uh, the anthrax drummer, I think it was, that tried to have his wife killed. Right. So I was reading some article from Australian journalist that was saying, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you should be posing with this guy. Um, and then he went on about statistics in Australia and, and stuff like that. And I, look, I've spoken about this sort of thing before um, with my own personal experience in terms of violence and domestic violence and abandoning and st stuff like that. So to this journalist out there, it's, it's none of your freaking business, mate. It's really not. If this guy's got a friend and he wants to see it in his heart to see the goodness in, in someone who has done evil, then don't you think that that might help the person who has done evil to see that someone is giving them a chance? But if everybody's going to turn their back on him, what sort of anger is that going to lead to? Sorry, I'm done. Anyways, <laughs> that's my controversy with this band. 
or the controversy is that he has a friend who tried to have his wife killed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, standing next to someone doesn't make you a criminal either. No, no, it doesn't. Yeah. But that is society at the moment that if you are friends with somebody who thinks differently than you, then you condone how they think. And I just think how incredibly primary school or elementary school, we're not in the playground. What are we doing, man? Like, it's stupid. Just let artists be artists and let people be people and worry about yourselves. Fair enough. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Yes, thank you very much. Yeah, no, okay, so I, I, yeah, I didn't mind this. I don't know if I would check out their other work. Yeah, I did listen around and, and it was, you know, all the other albums are very similar. They like to stay away from the word formulaic, but it, it nearly is. Um, like I said, there's no clean vocals and there's, there's not often choruses. And if, you know, you bother to read the lyrics, they're generally quite inspiring and uplifting and, you know, there's a lot of Christian influences there, but yeah, there's a lot of growling and a lot of very fast, loud uh, metalcore, basically. Yeah, I don't think you'd like their other stuff, um, but I, I love the fact that they had a crack at this. I, I don't know if I could sit down for weeks rehearsing Christmas songs, like, and and then sitting down for days recording Christmas songs. Like, you'd be over Christmas by the end of it. You really would. Yeah, how do you think gynecologists feel? <laughs> oh, uh, anyways, moving on. Yeah, no, look, I, I, I like that yin and yang of it. I conceived this bloody show, didn't I? I like, obviously, like the yin and yang. I like juxtaposition. I like the the backgammon, the the black, oh, well, I shouldn't say black versus white, because people immediately think skin colour, won't they? But I'm not. I'm talking literally about opposites here and how opposites feed each other and how artistically a storyteller is able to use the white and the black or the dark and the light and just the opposites people get racism out of your heads please goodness me um even i'm freaking out right now uh my point is that i i think when artists explore that yin and yang in their work we get stuff like this which someone like me who would normally run away from the grr, 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 didn't mind it because I had had so much in terms of what they had done with these Christmas carols. They showed their versatility. They showed the darkness mm. with the light. As, as Chris said, you can't deny they, they're just fantastic musicians. They yeah. really are. Yeah. Uh, they worked hard and they practiced hard and, and they toured hard. They toured constantly. They actually lost some band members just from constantly touring, constantly playing, and it got too much. Oh, God, did they leave them in foreign countries or something? Had, what? How did they <laughs> yeah. lose them? Is this a Home Alone deal? Or? Oh, like the first, you know, the first, the first lead singer left just purely because of the workload. Uh, I think the bass player left again because of the workload. They, they were just, you know, they got onto a good thing and they, they weren't going to stop. So it's mainly just the, the lead guitarist, the rhythm guitarist, and the drummer who were the original members. And, they, yeah, they just nonstop workhorses. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I never heard of him. <laughs> Not surprised. No, well, that I know DC talk. I could sing you Hillsong's songs right now. Are they called Hillsong songs? Or are they are they a Hillsong? <laughs> Be Hillsong song, that's, surely. That's a genuine question. Thank you for laughing. <laughs> you know, every day it's you I live for. Every day I follow after you. Like that is a Hillsong song. I know Christian songs. I know Christianity. I am a born-again Christian myself, believe it or not. Right before <laughs> I became a punk, I was getting baptised. So you can see why I became a punk. I've already said that on this show. So, no, it does surprise me that I haven't heard of them, especially if they'd been going for a while. Yes, but anyways, no, I think the silver bells have rung out on the metal, <laughs> and we shall sled off to an ad break. 
G'day listeners, Aaron here. If you've been listening to our show, you would know that in our Caroline O'Connor episode, Evan was unfortunately incapacitated at the time, but because he had been waiting to do Macamate, sorry, Primus for so many weeks, we thought we'll throw him in here instead of our usual ad break. And you can hear why he chose Primus's pork soda. Woohoo! We finally, after three weeks of laying in bed, I finally get to talk about my favourite band of all time, Primus. The Primus, again, they're a story like the ministry story. It was a moment in time. We were planning to cover band, as I've mentioned many times. But yeah, it would have been 1992. Now, I, we had this friend. His parents owned a, pretty sure it was like a sausage factory, like Dosonia, something like that. So we're talking super rich. Um, he just turned 17. Uh, and they bought him a brand new... What? It's dead. What's dead? My coffee. It's cold. Oh, for God's sake. Sorry. Keep talking. Right. It's your... Start again. Okay. It's your segment. Um, I'll, I'll go over here and let you talk. Uh, their son, who was a friend of ours, was given on his 17th birthday for his getting his license, was given a brand new Forerunner, Toyota Forerunner. They decked it out as much as you could in 1993. But we're talking, you know, 1,000 watt Pioneer stereo, bazooka tubes, shakers on the seats. It just had everything that could make noise in a car. So he was at, he was at a friend's place. We're all sitting in the car and, you know, we're listening to Pearl Jam and Nevada and all the usual stuff. And then he, and he chucks on the CD and goes, have you ever heard of Primus? And pork soda kicks in in the best environment you could possibly listen to it in. The bass is just kicking you in the guts. My mind is being blown. And I'm just sitting there going, how can music sound like this? And I have been a lifelong fan ever since. Uh, turns out they were then touring like six weeks later for their first tour of Australia. I've then seen them every time since. I think it's about five or six times they've been here. I've been there every time. I will not miss a Primus gig. They are incredible. Um, Les Claypool um, has been listed as one of the best place, bass players in the world. Never had a lesson. He's just making this shit up as he goes along. I'm not even sure this guy can read music. He is just one of those super talented people. He was born talented. Um, in everything he does, they make their own videos. They do all their stop motion animation. They do all their own video editing. Um, they have their own studios. They do all their own recording. They literally do everything themselves and come out with, with this album that, <laughs> again, just, just blew my mind. I was just on the floor going, how is this possible? How can something like this exist? Uh, I love it. I love it so much. It, it's, it, it's easily a 10 out of 5. <laughs> just, I will put this on constantly. Uh, every few weeks, every few months. Yeah, I don't know how you could love music anymore. Well, we'll see about that. But it's, <laughs> it doesn't surprise me that it took a bunch of dudes to get you blown as a 17-year-old. <laughs> Sorry. That's awful. I will cut that out. That's uh, like... no, that was good. That was a, no, no, leave that in. Yeah, I, yeah, no, I mean, I love everything these guys do. The there's you can deep dive into it. The 
the the characters in every song you know there's they'll just make up characters and and run with them all these so many songs tell stories about you know fishing and fishing from the point of view of the fish um uh, being a bloody journalist um you know to you know there's so many serious themes with um you know my name's mud being you know abuse of power or the, the, that can be read a few different ways as well i always got the impression it was a cop who'd like killed a suspect not really sure or he's just a redneck who got into a bar fight not really i don't know about that one um you know dealing with suicide dealing with freaking and then to to nonsense songs like i dance around the house naked because no one can see me you know just or waiting in line at the at the department of motor vehicles they're they're just nuts they're which is why you know south park love them and use them for the uh for the theme for south park they're just they're mental <laughs> And we're back with Thrush and Treasure. I'm Aaron, that's Evan, and we are joined by the one and only Chris Sarandon. And am I saying that right? Because Australia, we say Sarandon, but we also hear Sarandon. Yeah, I was going to say that as well. I've heard Sarandon a few times. And I'm like, am I been saying it wrong this whole time? Yeah. The original name when my father came to this country was Sarandonidis. Sarandonidis. So the missing syllable was the emphasized syllable. And so when my, when they shorten it, I'm assuming they did it maybe at Ellis Island or someplace. So when my father said it, he emphasized every syllable. And I think that it ended up being pronounced this way because that's the way the people where he settled said it. And they said Sarandon. So that's Sarandon. it. Wow. Yep. Well, there you Sarandon. go. Everyone else is wrong. Because we, we get that a lot. In Australia, we will say a name a certain way to be in a position to actually ask or change. That's really Sarandon weird. as in as in abandon. Abandon, yes. I rhymed it with candid. I hope that works. That's <laughs> very much an Eminem rhyme right there, where two words don't actually rhyme. Um, but yes, okay. So before we get into the musical, at what point could you have I, I cannot express to our listeners if you don't know Chris's work, what's wrong with you? For one thing, go on IMDB or Wikipedia or whatever <laughs> right now, and you will see a dozen and one things. And actually, I said to you on Twitter a few months ago that. Everyone else grew up with you with The Princess Bride. I grew up with you in Child's Play and Fright Night. Ah, yeah. That was my childhood, like five yeah. years old watching those movies. Baron was punk at five. Yes, pretty much. Because my brother and sister <laughs> yeah. were metalheads, so it was very much about horror. There you go. If anyone doesn't know Chris Sarandon's work, then you do. You just didn't realize it. Yeah, that's it. Which is actually a compliment. It, it's, I was about to say, it's the mark of a brilliant actor, not just a good actor right there. But at what point in this stellar career, because as I say, I, I, the list goes on, um, did you feel your body and mind truly relax? Do you mean relax in life or relax in, into my career? Uh, either, either or. Well, first of all, I relaxed into life the first time I appeared on stage. Yeah. The first time I, I, I worked before an audience, I realized this is where I belong. Yeah. And I think people sometimes search for that <laughs> their entire lives. Yeah. And I was lucky enough to find it uh, when I was in college, uh, when I was in u university. I, I can't be specific about character so much as I can just the moment itself. There's a Moliere play called Tartuffe. Mm -hmm. uh, that I was in, and it was just a you know bare bones sort of laboratory production, uh, the, a result of an acting class I took, 
And uh, after I had my first performance on the stage, I had been doing all sorts of other things in college. I'd been studying something else. I'd been uh, involved in politics in college. I'd been involved in extracurricular activities. I was involved in academics. I, my, I was scattered all over the freaking place. And as soon as I finished that performance, I, I thought that this is it. This is my life. And I dro literally dropped everything, moved out of the fraternity house that I was living in, moved in with an old, a, a, a woman about 85 years old, and we shared an apartment. The kitchen was in the middle of my apartment, but my bedroom was on one side, hers was on the other. We shared meals, and I just ate there and went to rehearsal, and that's all I did for the next, like, you know, six years. Goodness me. Now, see, I had that same reaction first time on stage, but I was dressed up as a cat and we were performing <laughs> skimble shanks from the musical Cats. So <laughs> you lucked out, Chris. You really <laughs> did because mine's traumatized me for life. Yeah. Thank God it wasn't Cats. Yeah. So <laughs> when, when did you feel in your career then, um, your, your body and mind truly relax creatively? I mean. Probably the first, the first lead role, the first lead role I had on Broadway which was I was I replaced uh, Raul Julia in a crazy musical version of The Two Gentlemen of Verona, yep. an adaptation of the, the Shakespeare uh, right. that yep. was written by, the music was written by Galt McDermott, the guy who wrote Hair, the music for Hair. And I was the first replacement when Raul left and I got to do everything in my toolbox. I got to sing, I got to uh, act, I got to dance a little bit and I got to be in, uh, you know, on a Broadway stage. And you practice wearing tights for The Princess Bride? <laughs> right. No, I'd done that in, in graduate school. Oh, there you because go. Because all the, all the plays in graduate school were classical plays, so we were wearing tights constantly. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm so lucky I've never worn them on stage. Thank goodness for that. Uh, but anyways, we're going to move on to the musical now. Sure. Because we are going to talk about one of all-time favourite movies. Uh, so again, it is such an honour. And if you haven't read the Toniston Tales, go read it and then come and talk to me and tell me where all the influences are from the Nightmare Before Christmas, and we have Jack Skellington for our Christmas episode, What the Hell is Life? Am I Awake Right Now? I would pinch myself, but that might hurt. <laughs> now, as everyone, or most people don't know, because most people don't watch credits. Most people are not nerds. Now, Chris didn't do the singing in this because no, they had um, being stop motion. And that obviously, no, that had to be done well in, in advance. So Danny Elfman, yep. the famed Danny Elfman, uh, did the singing there, which most people don't realize because it, it just, this, it's seamless that your acting and, and his singing just oh, fit in perfectly. That's a compliment because Danny's yes. work in that movie is just astonishing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. really it, is astonishing both the both the composition and the performance. It is. And, and the songs, the songs themselves too, for a musical movie, especially in the nineties, because there wasn't that many especially not original ones mm -hmm. outside of Disney. And I know this obviously was Disney or at least Touchstone. Yeah, Touchstone. Yeah, so it's Disney, but they still had a bit of independence uh, for those who don't understand. I think how... a total, total independence. Yeah. Yeah. Because they obviously Touchstone, they could say the F word. Uh, so, and I don't think they're around anymore, are they? I don't know. Good question. Don't know. Ah. But anyway, so Evan, yeah. your thoughts on well, Nightmare Before Christmas? Yeah, well, I hadn't seen it, would you believe? This one passed me by. When was it, 93? Oh, I would have been in my 20s. I think I was busy, you know. Yeah. Oh, it was the end of high school. 
and I don't know, I just, it just skipped me. I don't know why I hadn't seen it. I'd obviously heard about it, you know, seen the trailers, thought it, it looked amazing. But so, yeah, I've only just recently sat down and watched it and listened to it. The one thing that keeps getting stuck in my head, there's two notes, and I wish I was more musically inclined to be able to identify the two notes, that kept reminding me of the opening chase scene of Goonies. There's that, you know, the, the bank robbers are being chased uh, through the streets in the original opening scene. There's these two notes, and I kept hearing them. I hear, hear them in the opening overture and the end credits as well and i went and checked it's not the same composer goonies was i think obviously a good 10 years before no it just it got stuck in my head and i know it's purely a coincidence it's, i'm sure it's on you yeah yeah it's you. just on me there are only on there are only so many notes out there exactly yeah exactly yeah, yeah. it was literally just two notes and i was like that that I, and then i kept getting goonies stuck in my head for some reason but yeah i love the boogie boogie song that's fantastic mm-hmm. Love that. The, and what an extraordinary performance that is by Ken Page. Ken Page. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It captures the whole, um, what is it, like French Quarter, you know, in the bayou. He talks about his inspiration was twofold. His inspiration was Cab Calloway. I don't know if you guys know who Cab Calloway was. Oh, jazz. Uh, yeah. A great pre uh, 40s uh, Harlem big band singer, but a performer as well. And uh, The Exorcist, he said, the Linda Blair. <laughs> oh, right. And The Exorcist. And he said those were his two inspirations. And I think the the combination is just uh, total inspiration, just extraordinary. Wow, that's, that's what I love about actors, when you find out where their inspirations come from. Mm-hmm. And it's always, as look, it's always that yin and yang. It's always two completely different things because they, would, they will find one thing in one part and then something from something else yep yep anyways uh evan yep yeah and well yeah so yeah i loved um oogie boogie song really really stood out um i could listen to that over and over um obviously this is halloween i had heard i I think it's been kind of claimed as a as a halloween song Mm -hmm. and you will just you know you will just randomly hear that anyway yeah um and funnily enough the final the end credits i love the the end credits song yeah where they reprise and and they chop everything together mainly just for how complicated it is yeah that would be that's not easy to play i've never paid attention to it i should yeah yeah if you listen to the end credits you know they take little pieces of every song but it's the key changes and the way it's blended all together that was Mm -hmm. really impressive i'm yeah funnily enough i'm sitting there going you know the best song is the last one and not because i'm glad it's over but because it's really clever uh yeah i don't know if that's quite a compliment or what (laughs) like i'm so glad your movie's over no, it is. A, I think it is. In, yeah, the end sure. credits are really yeah. clever. Yeah, no, it's, it's like I said, and yeah, I, I, this is the first time I sat down and, and actually watched it. And, and I'm, again, I'm surprised that this is a, a Disney film. There's, there's moments in it where you're like, I don't know if Disney had signed off on that today. They took a big risk, didn't they? Okay, very big. Yeah. Some of it's very expressionist. A lot of it is very expressionistic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, particularly the visuals. Some of the visual jokes are very small and you have to really pay attention mm. to sort of pick them out. Yeah. And there's some really clever stuff in there too. Like the uh, oh, the stuff yeah. like the dog, um, you know, the dog's obviously filmed separately and composited in being transparent, yeah. but his nose yeah. is casting light on the surrounding objects. So they would have to have stop motioned the light source in and then remove that light source to yeah. bring the dog in. And I'm like, that is so clever. Yeah. My wife's sitting there going, what are you talking about? I was like, oh, that dog, clever as hell. <laughs> that would have taken months. 
to, to do that, you know. Well, the movie the movie took two years yeah. to make. Yeah, teams and teams of animators all yeah. putting out something like 11 yeah. seconds a day, I think it was. That's yeah. Disney money. Yeah. Just yep. on, on that, right, because um, we just did Mary and Max the musical so, and we talked about making um, Adam Elliott making those movies that they take five years. Now, I cut a little bit out of that episode because I wasn't sure if we were allowed to announce that he's making a new film at the moment. I checked with his people. Yes, we're allowed to include that in the episode, but now it's too late. So Merry Christmas, everyone. Adam <laughs> Elliott is doing a new movie. Now, yeah. you know. Anyways, we'll but move on. I, yeah, I don't know if, Chris, you've seen uh, Mary and Max. is an Australian stop-motion film. Um, same no, kind of thing. I don't know it. It's very impressive. But now, now I do. Now I do. It's very impressive, and it's a, a hell of a story. And no spoilers. Just, just watch it. It's brilliant. I'm writing it down now. Mary and Max. And it, Mary, Mary and Max. Okay. There's a musical in the works that's been staged in Canada, I think it was, and in Austria. Um, but yeah, just visually, it's, it's, it's excellent. You're just mind-boggling the amount of time it would have taken to do it. But anyways, Nightmare yeah. Before Christmas. Nightmare Before, yeah. This had Disney money, so this could afford a bigger studio, not a warehouse <laughs> in a western suburbs yeah, warehouse. Um, the only um, thing, I'm, I'm not really sure if this is a Christmas film. I, I, I don't know. And I'm not sure if it's a Halloween film either. It's it's both. Wouldn't wouldn't you say wouldn't you say it's both? Yeah, I yeah. think it's kind of both at the same time. Um, it is, but the overall message is learning what mm. the, what Christmas means, yes. and that is the like message said, of every Christmas movie out there yeah. that has any sort of value. It is all about learning the meaning of Christmas. That's why we watch it and why we we get all mushy at the end of it. Yeah, where, where you know Jack's sort of realizing what he's done wrong and and he sets off to go and fix mm-hmm. it. Yeah, he learns what Christmas yeah. really is. He also learns who he is, which I think is more of the overriding message. True. Yeah. Yeah, I was wondering all the way through. I was trying to pin down his motivation, you know, and it wasn't really up until he decided to fix everything. It's it's like, is he a bad guy or is he just misguided? And it wasn't really clear until he you know, goes to save Christmas. He's mm-hmm. curious. That's what yeah. he is. Yeah. He's he's curious about the world outside of his own. And I think that's why he's, he is such a, a cool character and why he's resonated with so many because he has a purpose in life. He has this tradition and he comes out and does this old fiery jump into the fountain and all this jazz. But then he finds this pretty white thing and he's like, what's this? <laughs> and he oh, finds this new world yeah, that... and he wants to explore that and in that, exploring who he is. And that's why I think personally that he, I might be reading too much into it, but this is Tim Burton written after all. It's Henry Selick directed. Let's make that known to everyone. Tim Burton did not direct this one. Go see Corpse Bride for that one. Henry <laughs> Selick directed this one. But it is, it's also a common theme in Tim Burton's work. People who are one thing and they wear a mask or something like that, but they do ex- then explore a world outside of their own. Mm-hmm. Beetlejuice didn't really. He was in a house, you know, and he didn't really learn much in the end either. <laughs> Let's face it. But that's mm-hmm. why I say it. But yeah, and there again, um, what's this? That's a, that's a fantastic song as well. Where yeah. he's, you know, the, the weird one, because I listened to it first and I'm like, what is he? I, I didn't really get 
what he was talking about and then sat and watched it. I was like, oh, okay, he's discovering. Do you know what it was? Discovering Christmas. Flurries, 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 flurries. It was flurries. Yeah, no, I, I, it's a wonderful movie. And it really is. It's it's stand the, the test of time as well. Mm. And that's the thing. Like it's it's gonna be absolutely 30 years old yep. in in two years and people still rave about it. People still buy the merchandise. People still they just they just had a live concert in LA. Yep, with um Billy Eilish. Twenty-three thousand people. Wow. Was that at the Hollywood Bowl? No, they did it at another a big outdoor theater. I can't okay. remember the name of it. Yeah. I, I wasn't there, but but uh, it was a musical. Yeah, it was a concert with the LA film. Yeah, we we seem to be doing that a lot in in Perth. They'll they'll you know show a film and then have a live orchestra playing it, and they'll do they'll do Star Wars and they'll, they'll do uh, you know things like Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, I've always wanted to go because I'm sure it just sounds phenomenal to to hear it live. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I know. look, I I really, really, really wanted to see um, Harry Potter three, The Prisoner of Azkaban, because that score, John Williams' score in that, is freaking fantastic. I mean, the rest of the albums are great, but that one particular score is is one of my all time favorites. Ratatouille, I would also see because Michael Giacchino, obviously, I, I worship the ground that guy works on. Uh, however, when Harry Potter three, it was something like one hundred and eighty dollars for a ticket to see a movie that I've seen a hundred times. Like, oh, boy, no, yeah, it's up there, isn't it? no, yeah. the cheek of it. I bet it's still sold out too. And it's still sold out. That's why they, they go up to $480. So like, it would be a fantastic experience. And I would, I've even asked Michael Giacchino to bring his lost concert to Melbourne. But I said, I would sell my nephew on eBay to get him there, but <laughs> it would be fantastic to see, but I'm yeah, not paying that much. Sorry. To all the artists out there listen to my show and right. buy my book and maybe i will so yes i, I love the album it, you know the, yeah, yeah everything's you know it's fantastic you can't deny yes. how well put together how well written how clever it is and and yeah then partnered with the the film as well as yeah i see why it stood the test of time uh, and unique totally totally unique it's a good solid four yeah easily a four wow a solid four yeah awesome i'd like to see hang on have they made it into a musical? No. Why not? Not yet. You mean on stage? On stage. Has someone staged it? Oh, uh, I, I don't know that it's being thought of as a musical. Given Disney's track record, I'm surprised they haven't. Well, everything becomes a musical, apparently. Except what, one of the part of the magic of the movie yeah. is that mm, is yeah. the, the stop, stop motion animation. And also the visual jokes and the fact that you can perceive them uh, sort of in a kind of order all the way through the movie. And the just the, you know the 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 art direction. There's just yeah. so much that's that's there. Well, the unstitching of Oogie Boogie again. I was. Oh, I'm like Disney signed fantastic. off on this. Oh, like oh. Yeah, really? Yeah. And you know what's really interesting? I have nine grandchildren. Joanne and I have nine grandchildren, and uh, they are without exception completely all of them from three years old on up totally mm-hmm. captivated by the movie and are not frightened by it. Right. Yeah. They don't find it frightening at all. Somehow it fits into their world in yeah. a very seamless way. Mm. And part of that, I think, is because children uh, are not constrained by form. They are very open to anything. And and so, you know, uh, uh, Joanna's son's little boy, uh, Danny, who's three years old, knows the score and the lyrics by heart to the entire film and goes around singing them all the time. 
And so when you hear that, just as a grandpa, how does that, how do you feel? I have to ask that because oh, I'm not ever going to be in that position. I mean, come myself. on, come on guys. You know, yeah. do you go away and cry? Put yourself in my place. No, I don't, I don't cry, but there's oh, another, totally there's another moment where I feel completely like, Oh, this is where I belong in my life. Another thing about this is that when you say children connect with it, I think there's, there's so much crazy silliness in it with people ripping their heads off yes. and stuff and, and children don't. People's heads rotating. And, yeah. yeah. People aren't, uh, children aren't looking at that and seeing humans are being decapitated. They're looking at, and they're seeing the silliness behind it. They're seeing the absurdity. Yeah. They're seeing, again, we keep bringing it up that Monty Python absurdist humor, that yep. craziness that, which usually quite often doesn't work in America, but I guess it's, it's possibly the, the stop motion form that it gives it that allowance mm -hmm. to be sort of that little bit more silly than perhaps the the average disney movie that were especially at the time with the strong beautiful influence of menken and ashman right the the broadway musical brought into the animated film this took that with such a a twist that still excites all of us today mm -hmm. you know grown adults children you know everyone who watches it it's it is a a remarkable achievement in cinema uh, and claymation and stop motion and all of that physical animation does not make enough money this is an anomaly amongst all of those because yeah they just do not make the money that they should yep true and then let's talk about D disney's merchandising yes I i'm curious about this you will not believe some of the things that they've come out with <laughs> doorknobs Music boxes, yeah. light switch plates. Right, that's a new one. Uh, <laughs> if, you, if you can imagine it, they've done it. There's a balloon flying over LA. That's a oh. Jack Skellington balloon that oh. they thought for a while was a man in a uh, jet, uh, whatever the, you know. The... That's why you have no ego because they're inflating jacks, not yours. Because <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I know you've done a lot of the video games as well. Yeah, I've done pretty much all of them. Yeah. For those at home, Evan has an arcade. We've talked about it before. So you may, may have heard about it. Evan has an arcade machine that he built and every episode he changes up the game. And today he actually has... The Nightmare Before Christmas game. Yeah, we've actually found so, something licensed. We got a bingo. We got a snap. Although this is the Game Boy Advance version that came out in 2000. Oh, that's um, literally behind you? Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, great. Yeah, and it's playable. I could, you know, I could turn it up and it's playing this really horrible 16-bit version of, of, you know, This is Halloween. Yeah. Um, usually I'll just choose something that's kind of related as best I can. But uh, yeah, no, this time we've actually got the game. Got a perfect score. <laughs> 10 points to Hufflepuff. Anyways, we'll move on. Um, I think we're some, uh, the pumpkin has gone rotten. So we're going to throw an ad break and hear from me talking about the novels that I wrote that were bloody influenced by this film that we're talking about on my show, What the Hell is Living. Anyways, we'll be back in a moment. G'day listeners, Aaron here. While you're topping up your coffees, did you know that you can support our show and go on a fantastically scary adventure at the same time? Go to www.thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore to grab your copy of The Toniston Tales, a darkly funny Aussie trilogy about a young boy who rescues injured animals in his spare time and the roller coaster ride he's taken on by a literal fish out of water. 
written by me, the village idiot of Thrash and Treasure, you'll come to love Toniston Turnbull and the dozens of wacky characters that he meets along the way. And here is a sneak peek. After barely three hours of light sleep, Toniston Turnbull slowly opens his eyes, his body feeling heavier than it ever has before. Not from extra weight, from tiredness and stress. Polly sighs in the shadows behind him, the flame of the nearest barbed wire tiki torch tower having died down, but not out, while Toniston napped. Are you awake? Toniston whispers. Oh, how can I sleep in this place? Polly moans, turning onto her side and facing Toniston, who stays on his back, imagining obscure animal-esque shapes in the rusted tin roof above them, shadows faintly formed by the nearest dying torches. We need to work out a way to get out of here, Toniston states the obvious. He whispers, despite the fact the nearest shacks to their own are several metres away, and the occupants presumably asleep as most prisoners seem to be. How? There's no fence to squeeze through, or even climb, Polly replies, sitting up in bed and then stretching out her sore arms. The hairs stand on end from the slight chill in the air. I don't know, but I think the whole fighting thing is a distraction. You mean, to distract the other prisoners when new ones arrive? No, I, I think that was just bad timing. Didn't you notice? Toniston goes on to explain his theory. That fight happened, everybody gathered around. I didn't see one person who wasn't watching, and then when I vomited, the only gate in this place closed shut. What are you trying to say? I think something happened when everyone's back was turned. Like what? whispers Polly, her voice breaking up in fear. I don't know. That's what we've got to find out. Toniston's brain starts working overtime, but it's strange that nobody seems to want to leave. They seem almost happy. Definitely content. So, when's the next one of those stupid beatdowns? Toniston can't help but think Polly looks tough, almost evil in the shadows as she asks, I don't know, Toniston begins, but both teenagers are distracted by a crumbling noise in the distance. Hopping out of bed, Toniston joins Polly on her own equally uncomfortable one. Spotting a large white package hovering close to the cave ceiling, behind it a shadowy figure. The package is lowered down, causing the teenagers themselves to lower as well, hoping not to be spotted by whom, or what, may be operating this obscure crane. Over a long, slow descent, the package is dropped to the ground. Polly keeps her eyes on it, but Toniston looks up immediately, spotting a large black shadow scurry away to God only knows where. Come, he whispers, as he quietly hops off her bed, slipping into his docks with bare feet. Polly follows his lead, Careful to keep watch on all directions, the teenagers swiftly sneak over to the white package, their hearts beating an almost tribal jam in perfect harmony and stopping in their tracks as the sudden realisation of what lies before them sinks in. A woman, seemingly in her early twenties, wrapped up in bandages from the neck down. No, not bandages. Is that spiderweb? Polly asks, completely mortified at the prospect. Grab your copy of The Toniston Tales from thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore today. Hooroo! And we're back with Thrush and Treasure. I'm Aaron. That's Evan. And we are joined by the legendary Chris Sarandon. Goodness gracious me. Now I need to ask, it's a, it's a bit of a um, cheeky question. 
I hope I'm not bringing up a sore spot here because obviously you were nominated for Dog Day Afternoon for your killer performance as uh, Leon. Leon. Did you want to trip the winner over when they won, when they walked past you? Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Ah, oh, bugger. I had no illusions that I was going to win, win yeah. because I think rightfully so now they don't say the winner is, they say the Oscar goes to. Yeah. Because it's a, it's a sort of, you know, it's an artificial construct by putting, pitting five actors, quote unquote, against each other. Yeah. When in reality, most actors, you know, you'd love to have one. Of course, I'd love to have one sitting yep. on my mantelpiece. First of all, the event was surreal. And just being there was, you know, it was my first movie, for God's sake. Mm. I had done a lot of theater. I'd been on Broadway. I'd done a lot of other stuff, but it was my first movie. And to be nominated for a friggin' Oscar and then to be there and to actually be sitting in one of the chairs and, yeah. and looking around and seeing all those people that I admired tremendously, that was... I was, uh, it was, yep. uh, obviously I'm, I'm inarticulate about it because it was a, uh, uh, an event that was not ripe for articulation. Yeah. One of our past guests, Jonathan X, who uh, is in episode 10, and he was one of the people I turned to, to ask for help in writing the questions for this interview. <laughs> and he gave me the question, given your insane acting skills, was there any prep before that ceremony practicing so you wouldn't look sad or disappointed just in case you lost? <laughs> <laughs> no, nor did I rehearse my speech. Uh, it was a year in which George Burns, it was the front runner yep. in, in both in public perception and also in, in the, the kind of Hollywood, yeah, yeah. in the media. Uh, he, was, he had been around forever. He was a, uh, an icon mm -hmm. uh, in, in many respects. Uh, it was a lovely performance, and I think nobody expected uh, any of us to to uh, the other people who were nominated to win. There were, I think, one or two people from Cuckoo's Nest who were nominated. I know Brad Dourif was. Yep. Uh, I'm not sure who else was because I run into Brad every once in a while. I guess you would have. He did try to kill you as Chucky. Yes, that's right. And also, also he's from my home state, West Virginia. Oh, so we are that. two of the yeah very few people who who act who come from West Virginia. And uh, so it was, you know, there was none of that. I just didn't have none a that? sense that I, I was going to an event that I'd been invited to and I was thrilled to be. I'm, I'm glad you brought up Dog Day Afternoon because I, I wasn't aware of this film. You know, I'm, I'm born in 76. So I was, you know, a year before I was born. Oh, God. Sorry, I'm born in 85. Oh, get out of here, you too. <laughs> yeah. But I did, I, I, I literally, I, wa I watched it yesterday. And um, yeah, you're seen with uh, Al Pacino and, Speaking as a, hopefully he doesn't get offended, but as, as a parent of a transgender teenager um, mm. self, um, you, you freaking nailed it. In 1975, you know, the, the yeah. whole film approached it. It didn't seem to take sides. It just sort of went, this is the story. You know, it didn't, didn't try and point them out. It was just, you know, this is just the story as it happens. Um, and, and I was amazed at how, how, how spot on, not just your performance was, but also how the film approached the subject. Um, yeah. yeah, it was fantastic. And then I played the scene again oh. this morning to my wife and she's like, yeah, this is, this is spot on. Like in a, in a time where yeah. America was not very favorable to any of that. No. And, and to just plonk it up on screen like that and, and do it in such a neutral way. Uh, yeah. I'm, impressed thank you he's very hard to impress <laughs>
No, but essentially the approach was that this is a story about a dis dysfunctional relationship. Mm. The fact that it's a the, the two people happen to be men and one happens to be a would-be transgender who has just overdosed. Uh, I mean, the background is even more bizarre than the movie presents it uh, because uh, uh, Leon or uh, uh, Aaron, uh, Ernie Aaron was his actual name. Uh, Ernie would wake up sometimes and little John, uh, Al's character, would be would have a 45 caliber pistol at his forehead saying, uh, Ernie, Ernie, we can't go through this anymore. I'm going to kill you and then I'm going to shoot myself. I mean, shit like that happened all the time with these guys. Mm. They were combustible, um, passionate. Uh, we've all been through relationships like this, maybe not with the gun, mm. <laughs> but but it, it was a highly dysfunctional relationship and two people who loved each other, but who couldn't figure out a way to get along. And the fact that they happened to be gay and one happened to be a would-be transgender was sort of incidental to that. Yeah, yeah. And this was around the time of the boys in the band as well. Yeah. Sort of um, things were, the artists were starting to make their noise, basically, uh, in this field, because obviously there was always gays in theatre and film and television. Not all of them were comfortable coming out. They, yes, well, most of them, if not uh, the, the large majority of them would not, were not out. Exactly. Yeah. And, but anyways, um, so what has been a moment while traveling that has inspired you creatively? So maybe for a character or for writing something or a song? While traveling. Whoa. Yeah. That's a big fat general thing <laughs> that asks yes, for something so. really quite specific. Um, yep. I remember he's he's done in your position that he's done a million conventions as well. So that's why I turned ah, to him, ah. hoping to give me a good question. But apparently, <laughs> it's too broad. Well, actually, I, it was uh, in a way a reaction to a role that I had played that sent me traveling. I'd done a movie called The Sentinel, uh, that was a, a very unpleasant experience, and I decided I wasn't going to act anymore. And so I literally packed a bag, uh, called a couple of people who I knew who had been there, and I flew to Kenya. And I spent three weeks driving around Kenya and Tanzania by myself. And um, it, it rejuvenated me in the sense that I realized that the world was much bigger, that experience was much larger, that there were so many more things to see and experience than just, you know, what people going to friggin' movies and working in television and getting jobs. And, and it, it completely transformed my, my outlook because I left depressed and angry and, 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 and in a way uh, had turned inward and it made me reach out and look out and watch and just listen and forget about all the other bullshit in life. By myself, I was by, I was alone for and with very little human contact because I would stop at game reserves on the way. But there were it was, it was the off season. There were no tourists. I was I kept having flat tires, so I was left out in the bush by myself for for days at a time, uh, just to be rescued by uh, uh, native Kenyans who were driving by, who would take me back to where they'd come from or where they were going to fix my tire, and then would bring me back. Without, without a thought to their inconvenience. Uh, 
and I, it, it trans, it completely changed my life. And I came back to, to um, a, a really actually a different direction in my career. I started doing big television specials, but doing really great roles. I played Sidney Carton and Charles Darnay in A Tale of Two Cities, for God's sake, with all of the English actors that I grew up admiring when I was younger. You know, uh, Flora Robson and and Kenneth Moore and Billy Billy um, uh, what Billy Billy Whitelaw and uh, David Suchet was in it and and Nigel Hawthorne and and Kenneth Moore and and uh, uh, oh, Peter Cushing and these people, I was with these people every day and I just thought oh my God I'm alive I'm I'm with yeah. my cohort I'm doing what I want to do it was uh, transformative. You say you would got lost in Africa and flat tire and got trapped and had to get rescued. Nowadays, they call that naked and afraid. <laughs> so yeah, I'll just have to throw that in there. Um, no, I, look, I, I've heard that before from Tonya Pinkins because she likes to travel on her own yeah. and just go somewhere, drive around China and stuff. So I think that any artists out there, yeah, go do that go to some obscure foreign country and just drive around and get some sort of new perspective on yeah. life. See how other people have to live. Speaking of travel though, if you could travel back through the past to thank those who inspired you along the way, or maybe gave you advice or maybe someone gave you a dollar when you were a dollar down at the shops or something that changed your life, who would they be? When I was, when I was in college, uh, I just serendipitously because I needed a class, an extra class, and it was a uh, what we would call at the time an easy A. All you had to do was attend the class and you got an A if you went to every one of the classes, right? And there were, I think, like one or two classes a week for two hours, something like that. And it was a, it was a, a class that was called, believe it or not, 101 Scottish and Irish Ballads. And it was taught by a guy named Patrick Gaynor, who would sit in front of the class and the class text was called 101 Scottish and Irish Ballads by a, a British ac uh, acad academic named Francis Childs, I remember vividly. And the book was filled with this, uh, these, these uh, uh, ballads that were um, traced back to their origins. This particular song, the Gypsy Davy, was uh, uh, comes from a Norse ballad, such and such, and so on, so on, so on, so on, so on. So, so you're 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 reading the the words to the to the uh, to the ballad, and then he would turn on a, one of these big old fat fifty pound tape recorders that existed back in the early sixties, uh, and he would push the button, and he had gone up in the hills of West Virginia. And he had recorded people singing and playing fiddles and dulcimers. And they were, some of them were illiterate. So they didn't learn the songs from a book. They didn't learn it from the radio. They were passed down the songs by their parents and their parents and their grandparents who came over to this country from Scotland and Ireland, who learned the songs in Scotland and Ireland that originated in Scandinavia that originated in wherever, right? And I grew up a Greek American. First of all, when my parents would speak Greek in public, I would walk away because I didn't want to be identified as this, you know, attached to these people who were speaking a foreign language because I lived in a town where there were nobody, there was nobody like us. And also I, I tried to, to uh, disidentify myself, if that's a word, from being a hillbilly 
somebody you know who was you know illiterate and uh, unscrubbed and i was sophisticated i was a college student and suddenly i realized that there was a meeting of the two because if you listen to really old greek music it mm -hmm. sounds like the music that those people up in the hills of west virginia sang and played that came from northern europe but this music came from southern europe who knows where it all started and suddenly i went you know what <laughs> get over yourself figure out that this is this is who you are and you come from an extraordinary line both from where you live and how you were born that is ancient and we all are that's where we all come from in a way so it was quite revelatory so you answer your question that's a long-winded way of answering it <laughs> no, but it's patrick gainer this guy who patrick taught gainer. this course because he taught yeah. me so much in his un you know his unsophisticated rather well, he, he was sophisticated in that he was a brilliant scholar but he was very mm -hmm. kind of daughtery, kind of, you know, push the button and you listen to the song and you, and he was disheveled. Uh, but he was, he had, he had his finger on the pulse of this great, great idea that was, that was transformative. So that's who I would go back to. I'd like to sit down and talk to him again, because I never got a yeah. chance to. But what would be the first question? Obviously, how are you? And yeah. how's the family how's the kids yeah right yeah. but i but, you know you know what i would i wouldn't i wouldn't ask him a question i'd say take me with you the next time mm. i want to go with you i want to hear this music i want to feel this music just like you do because it's very old and it's it's it really it enters you in a different place than your mind yeah i do actually hear a lot of greek music because my neighbors just outside my window they're they're greek and so every day I'm hearing Greek music and I listen to a lot of foreign recordings anyways. Yeah. So I actually kind of like it, but I don't think it's well that older folk music. I think it's sort of more, you know, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, <laughs> yes, right. Yeah. I'm talking about not just bazooki music, but the music where they're playing mu instruments that don't no longer exist. And I was, I, I was fortunate enough when I was 13 years old to go to Greece and on the, on the hills of, of the, just below the Acropolis, they do performances. And one of the performances was from a Greek village in Asia Minor that had withstood assimilation and had been isolated for centuries. And these guys came out in pantaloons and goatskin bagpipes playing and the, and, the, and the voiceover just before they started was, this music is the closest music we have to the music that was played on the plains of Troy. Right. Now think about that for a minute. Yeah. yeah. You know, if you're a little, you know, young Greek kid trying to find his identity. Yeah. It's funny because anytime, well, the only one time a guest has put on an accent that wasn't their own, I have to mute it because I, they're going to get in trouble. But you're Greek, so I can leave that. And that was my father. I'm. That was my. That's my dad. That's how my dad spoke. Thank you for not muting me. No, no, no. It's fine. I oh, no, no. I'm talking about in the edit. I'll, I'll leave. Oh, that. oh, oh. Okay. All right. Yeah, so what has been your shittiest experience with an agent? Because I'm sure you've had a couple. Being, being dropped, being fired. Being dropped, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've, I've been fired by a couple of agents, yeah. Oh, wow. Was it something you had done, Chris? No, no, it's just because I wasn't, I wasn't making them enough money. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, agents, no wonder you have a reputation. 
We had, <laughs> we had a great, I had a great relationship with this guy. We liked each other. Um, we were friends yep. and he called me and said, I'm sorry, but you know, from the higher ups, you don't bring in enough money and we have to let you go. Yeah. Wow. All this talk of um, musical history and, and the history of music is, and with, you know, the just massive back catalog of work of your own. Are you ever going to one day retire and go play drums in a bluegrass band? Is the question, would I? Yeah. Well, you, you know, one day you're going to, are you going to give up all this just constant working to just go play drums in a bluegrass band? <laughs> it, it, well, for, first of all, uh, I don't know that my body could take it at this point in my life. Because, you know, uh, Evan, drumming is very physical. Uh, yeah, it doesn't have to be, though. You know, I mean, you know. well, to me, it's like it's like dancing. You have to be able to feel it through your whole body. And yeah. that's that's something that I have. A Charlie Watts kept it up for many years. You know. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, and Charlie Watts just died. Yeah. So that's where that got him. <laughs> yeah, drumming didn't kill him, though. No. no. Well, but high living didn't either because he was the he was the very sort of straight laced mm. stuff. Oh, yeah. Good. Oh, clean living oh, yeah. The whole way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm, I'm oh. sure at some point he he imbibed, but uh, he was famous for, you know, when they'd go to f uh, rent their villa in France and record music, he'd rent another home <laughs> and he'd come to the sessions and then leave. He was not living the debauched life. He was living a fairly normal life. That's my understanding. Anyway, my stepson, who's very big in, into the private lives of musicians, that's what he tells me. And, and yeah, the only other one um, was, you know, throughout again throughout your career and it, well it's mainly the that sort of mid 80s period which which, which i love the uh, the filmmaking in the mid 80s you know before computer graphics came along everything had to be practical yeah. um and there's so many films i don't know if we're going to see much of it going forward but certainly there's that chunk of films you know like the goonies and flight of the navigator and uh, these all these fright night child's play princess bride these films all practical effects no cgi yeah. Yeah. but they're the kind of films that you can re-watch over and over and then you'll play them to your kids you yep. know i waited till my kids were sort of teenage you know 13 14 and there's the perfect sort of age to go here watch this and they'll either love it or hate yep. it thank god you mm. weren't my father evan <laughs> So, you know, I didn't, I made sure I introduced all the kids at a certain point of their life. They were like, here, this is the Goonies, sit down and watch it. You know, you'll either love it yeah, yeah. or... As early as possible. Gremlins, as soon as possible. But yeah, you, you managed to, you know, get, get your face, be involved in, at, you know, at least three of those classics. Now, was, was that a case of, of dumb luck or, or good judgment? I think it was timing. Uh, you know, often people, people think actors' careers occur because they make choices that are perfect for them. And the fact is that sometimes they're perfect and sometimes they're not. I've made some bad choices in my career, some shitty choices. I've made some wonderful choices as well, but often the choices have come to me because I've either earned it through an audition or in, say for instance, the case of Fright Night, uh, they sent me the script with an offer which I was very flattered by, but I was determined I wasn't going to do it because I just mm -hmm. done, played Sidney Carton and Charles Darnay and I'd just done, you know, Thomas Wolfe and I was a theater actor and I was, you know, I was hot, hot stuff. And I read the script and I just went, this is great. This is terrific writing. Mm. This is wonderfully constructed. This is really fun. This is funny and it's scary and it's interesting. And after I messed the director, Tom Holland, I went, that's it. I'm done. I'm doing this. Like I have to do it. 
So sometimes it's serendipity that way. Sometimes it's serendipity like Nightmare. I auditioned for that with another, you know, probably 50 or 60 guys. Right. And I think it was because my voice was closer to the to Danny Elfman's Tam, tam yeah. than uh, other people's for some reason. I don't know. I also was able to hear the songs and I have a pretty good ear. So I knew what kind of voice they were looking for. But, yeah. you know, sometimes it's just, who knows? It's, it's <laughs> a little bit, bit from column A and a bit from column B. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but to your point about uh, uh, effects mm. and the the era when things were done very practical, do you guys have a sense that that's sort of coming back, like with the '78, oh, you I know, do. with the with the long playing record, yeah. and you know, with LPs and and with film students, yeah, with film yeah. students who are eager to bring it back, that practical effects, watch the yeah. classic films yeah. and see that it does just look that much better. That's half of the issue with the with the rewatchability of movies that are with practical effects is they still look as good now as they did then. You know, it, it still looks real because it was done real. Whereas if you watch something like yeah. Star, like if you watch something like Starship Troopers, where it was just at the beginning of uh, generated effects, and you know the creatures look terrible, and the rewatchability is just not there. Yeah. Right. Uh, but there, there's also that that point yeah. of of just good filmmaking, like watching Poltergeist again literally this week where it goes back to the basic rules of good filmmaking you know is this scene necessary and does this scene get me to the next scene and it's all mm. the way through and i found fright nights very much yeah. like that obviously princess bride is very like that there's no unnecessary scenes there's no fillers each scene is necessary and it's needed to get me to the next scene and often tension is built by what you don't see rather than what you do see mm. what's yeah. left yeah. out and that was very much yours yeah. Same with Norman Bates in Psycho. And, we, and also they had a lot of trouble. The shark gave them fits. So they, you know, they could only use it in certain ways. So it required, it, it made Steven Spielberg be more inventive. You know, it's like this, it's like the symphonic form or the sonata form, you know, that, that all, what we think of as the great classical composers. They had to, they had to live within that restriction, but then yeah. it created Bach, it created Beethoven, it created these, these giants of music because they, they had to figure out ways to use their imagination in the form. And another classic example of that is uh, Reservoir Dogs, where uh, Tarantino filmed two versions of the ear cutting scene, one where you saw it and one where you didn't. And he found it was mm -hmm. more impactful when you didn't see it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You'll, you'll find that is a lot in movies. I Look, in Avatar, which is the biggest film ever, the box office since it overtook Avengers Endgame, I spent that whole movie wanting them to rip down that tree, that big, <laughs> magnificent tree. I love nature. I don't hug trees, but I... Mm -hmm. I try to reuse paper and then I recycle it into recycled paper. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a good boy, but I wanted them to rip that tree the hell down. <laughs> and when they did, I sat back and I went, ah, is that all? <laughs> so getting to see what I was wanting to see, mm -hmm. that big traumatic event of, the, of their life tree being ripped away. Yeah, right. Just... I, it was just meh. It was, mm -hmm. Anyways, no, look, I've come to the end of my questions and it has been an absolute honor, like you would not believe, having both yourself and Joanna on my show. Thank you very much, guys. I'm, I'm uh, uh, flattered that you asked me. I'm speechless. Oh, I'm flattered that you're flattered that <laughs> you would. And all this started because Joanna tweeted out a Jeopardy question and I responded back with a GIF. 
<laughs> and I took that opportunity to say, please come on my show. And it, it happened. It's worked. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your, your, uh, your, your knowledge and uh, your contributions to, uh, to the world. Yeah. And uh, to, to those people out there, uh, look, I can praise Joanna and Chris's work uh, and always have reverence for the work, but these two are such lovely people. They really, really are. So when you see Joanna's show out there, if you see any movie that they're in, uh, especially Boogie Nights, if you're overage, because Joanna's performance in that is uh, extraordinary. Fucking, yeah, I'm yeah. Still, like that's one of my favorite movies. Yeah, anyway, she pulls but... out all the stops. And her and I'll and let me let me give her a plug. Her new movie is called, called The Grotto, G R O T T O, and hopefully it'll be released sometime in 2022. It's a wonderful movie, funny, uh, but at the same time, it's about someone's journey, which we're all interested in. I think so. Yes. Uh, go see it. We will retweet the hell out of it. And oh, by the way, I'm creating I'm creating a podcast. Yep, awesome. of, of, of all things about food because I grew up in a, a restaurant nice. and it's going to be called Cooking by Heart. Uh, the the uh, multiple meanings are intended. Uh, and I just did a, my first interview today with Carrie Elwes from The Princess Bride. Yeah, awesome. Uh, I've also done one. At, at any rate, it's going to be sometime in 2022. So nice. Check well, yeah. check the uh, Apple if app. You need, if you, podcast. If you need a non-famous baker, <laughs> yeah, 27 years. <laughs> I, I'm with you, buddy. All right. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. You know, I'm going to run because Joanna's doing this charity thing and I want to try to make a quick appearance. Yeah, no worries. Please give her a big hug from me. I will indeed. Thank you so no much. Worries. Lovely to meet you both. Thank, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And oh my God, doing this show is an absolute privilege. Anyways, you can find Chris on Twitter at Sarandon Chris. So the other way around and look out for him on Instagram and all the other ones. I'm not sure he had the rush. So we forgot to get his socials. You can find us at Thrush and Treasure on Twitter or at Thrush and Treasure podcast on Instagram. Again, just search for us We're on Facebook as well. Comment, like, subscribe, all that jazz. Anyway, Santa will be warming up the reindeer, so we all better hop off to bed. And this week, instead of our usual end theme by Death in Bloom, Here's a little Christmas wish from friend of the show, Lisa Humber. So we'll see you in the morning. Hooroo! Wrote you a letter and it's sealed with a kiss. Inside I tell you all about my Christmas wish. <laughs>